Hey listeners, super excited about today's episode. Got to sit down earlier this week with my buddy Joey Jordan. Joey recently left his job at the Porsche Experience Center and is going to be heading out on the road on February 16th in his 91 Toyota Hiace van that he's converted into a camper van. He's going to be going down into Mexico and Central America, hopefully making it down to Patagonia and then uh, places unknown after that. But along the way, he will be checking out different local grassroots motorsports events. So you can follow along with his adventure at gashalffull.com, and we will have a quick interview with him here today. But first, here is today's driving tip from Andrew Rains with Apex Pro. Hey, Slip Angle listeners. This is Andrew here with this week's track tip. Something else uh, that I like to think about and talk to drivers a lot about is what do the pros do differently? I've been really fortunate to do a little bit of professional racing and hopefully we'll do more in the future. Um, and I have a lot of friends that spend a lot of time uh, in the professional ranks. And I like to be able to kind of compare and contrast, um, you know, drivers at the track day level and club racing level to the pros. And what's what's the difference? Because I think we can implement those pro level skills even at a lower level to improve. You know, why not? Um, something that I hear a lot from professional level drivers when they're evaluating a new car, um, they're in a new car for the first time or on a new track, is they like to challenge the brakes on the car first before they challenge the handling limits of the car in other areas so they know how much stopping power they have. And that's how they prevent themselves from overslowing in the future um, to start to roll speed through the corners is they're confident in knowing what the limits are under braking. So it's as simple as that. So that's something you can implement in your own driving. Get really comfortable with threshold braking. Know exactly how quickly your car can stop. Uh, use all the brake pedal, whether you have ABS or not. Um, you're probably going to be modulating the brakes a little bit right at the limit. Um, this might differ between a purpose-built race car with master cylinders designed for braking and a lot of pedal pressure, um, like an open-wheel car or a downforce car. Um, something that's going to have all of that purpose-built stuff, maybe a stock car as well. Now, a street car is going to have more of a, a plush pedal feel, so your threshold braking is going to be slightly different. So take those things into note. But this week's track tip is challenge the car under braking, learn the limit there, and then begin to implement that everywhere else. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks, Andrew, for that tip. You can learn more about Apex Pro at apextrackcoach.com. Apex Pro is also available through OG Racing. Go check our buddies out at OG Racing for any of your safety performance needs, from helmets to Hans devices, suits, and everything else that you may need. Give OG Racing a call. You can check them out at www.ogracing.com. And last but not least, if you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at tracktune.com slash slipangle. You can leave us reviews and ratings in the iTunes store. Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today I'm in San Clemente, California at Pizza Port uh, with my buddy Joey Jordan. What's going on, Joey? I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Austin. Freshly out of work? 
think yes. your last day of work was what three days ago yep i officially retired at you know the age of 24 about three days ago so uh, i've known joey for uh, for probably the past year and a half or so uh we both work or worked sorry yep. past tense at uh the porsche experience center in carson california um, so Joey has a background in performance driving and coaching, uh, but uh, recently quit his job and is going to be heading out on the road on a trip that uh, I'm actually quite jealous of, um, going down into Mexico and further south from there uh, in his, what is that, a 1989 Toyota Hiace or so? 91. 91 yep. Toyota Hiace, four-wheel drive. Yep. Diesel. So super, super stoked there. I mean, I know you've had the van for... Probably about the past, what, year and a half or so? Yeah, right around a year and a half, a little less, actually. But okay, yeah. nice. Um, so uh, this trip, though, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, you guys can follow along on Facebook at, uh, what, Gas Half Full, right? Yep, Gas Half Full, gashalffull.com, and any others can, you know, Instagram, YouTube, Gas so, Half but, Full. But this trip is, is kind of interesting. There's a lot of people that are, are living van life. Um, but your trip is kind of focused on van life, but also on motorsports. So it kind of has an interesting take on that experience. A lot of people, when they do van life stuff, it's all about, you know, going and seeing all these beautiful places, which is what you're going to do. But you're also kind of wanting to expose a little bit on grassroots motorsports culture in, let's say, countries that aren't quite uh, as affluent as the U.S., Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my goal is to kind of see what I can learn through different cultures, environments, through the lens of, you know, like motorized transport. So car cultures, racing, that whole sort of deal. You know, you look at like Parts Unknown, where Anthony Bourdain travels the world looking through the lens of food. I'm going to be looking at the world through the lens of, of cars and racing. Nice. And I mean, there, there's a lot of it out there that, um, you know, a lot of us don't necessarily have the knowledge about because let's be honest, there's really not a large public realm of information about motorsports unless it's professional motorsports or maybe, you know, semi-pro level motorsports here in the U.S. and in Europe. Right. I mean, there's a lot. I've been doing a lot of research the past year. There's a lot of racing that's just... Um, you'd be surprised that, that it's going on. You know, old cars, it's like taking a time machine. There's like these old Fiats, not a lot of safety equipment, not a lot of regulation. Sometimes you're racing through the streets. Sometimes you're racing on the dirt. Um, there's just some really cool stuff. And if you're a guy like me that appreciates, you know, you know, people racing for the sake of racing, maybe in cars that aren't meant to drive fast, but they do it anyways just because they love the sport, um, then you'll probably love to, to tune on in. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to see what I can find. Yeah, man, I'm super stoked. And, you know, from talking to you, you know, you kind of have a, a few key, you know, events and places that you want to be at certain times. But other than that, it's a pretty, pretty free form trip. So I know you're going to be out there discovering a lot of different things. There might be an event, you know, that's local somewhere that nobody's ever heard of except for the locals that you may stumble upon yeah absolutely and that's what i'm most excited to find is those type of events and um you know i do have some bigger stuff planned like seeing the uh wrc the world 
uh, Rally Championship is going to be going through Mexico around the same time I'll be there, so I'll try to cover that, some Mexican NASCAR stuff. But, yeah, really those smaller little niche just small-town stuff where maybe a couple guys like to, you know, drag race some their V8s. Uh, that's what I really want to delve into and learn more about because uh, that's kind of what's excited me back here at home. I just want to see how different people do it. Now, where'd the whole idea from this come? I mean, I know you, you came up through a motorsports family, obviously having, at least from what I know, your dad and your uncle are very involved in motorsports. Um, so you grew up around that, grew up racing. But where did the idea for a trip like this kind of come from? Because it's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I need to go see Spa. I need to go drive the Nürburgring. Meanwhile, you're going, ah, man, I want to go see what, like, actual working class type people, how they actually race, you know, in Central and South America. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, what it, a lot of it stemmed from is, you know, a lot of times with racing, we uh, we're always doing it, you know, on our own dollar, just scrapping every for for everything, really. Uh, so we'd go on these big, long road trips after a whole week of scrapping on the car, um, spending all night staying up, very little sleep and just these long, long road trips where you just have to, you know, you had to embrace the kind of the misery of it or else it would break you. So you'd have to have fun and invent your own fun on it. And a lot of times I'd have more fun driving to the track. Uh, I wouldn't say more fun, but a lot of fun driving to the track than, than the actual racing part of it. And there's kind of an art of embracing the misery of it. And that's kind of what it, it kind of grew into that. I started doing some fun road trips uh, the last couple years, you know, last three or four years we've done this kind of top gear type race where we'd take a $500 car and we would race it to Cabo. So you'd have like three to five teams and uh, first one down to Cabo would win. And I had such a blast doing that. I knew I had to think of something where, you know, I, I can make, you know, a good chunk of my life be a part of this. Um, so I think, you know, the stories from that embracing the, uh, the miseries is kind of really what inspired all this. Okay. Yeah. Now, what uh, what is like, you know, one of the most memorable trips like that growing up besides, you know, the races to Cabo and things like that. Right. Um, that from racing really, specifically. Yeah. That really kind of might have solidified this idea in your head. Like, hey, there's something more to this than, you know, just driving to the event and driving back. Like there's an adventure along the way. Yeah. I, I guess the best story you know, when people talk to me on my racing, like, how'd you get into that? And they want to hear some cool story of me winning some big race. The stories I think of, I can think of one specifically is when this is my first ever track day we're going to. Um, we have a Miata that we spent like $500 on. We put a cage in it. Um, and we're driving down the 210 at like 3 in the morning after wrenching on it. We're going to Button Willow. And it's just uh, this really old trailer. And I remember, you know, I was still awake, but my dad says, you know, profanity. So I obviously look in the mirror and there's this just trailer bouncing down the <laughs> 210. <laughs> Sparks are flying everywhere. And there is my poor race car that I've been working on. Um, and it digs into the embankment. There's dirt going oh, everywhere. No. We thought the car we thought the car was flipped and totaled. <laughs> so we get out. And uh, it was okay. It was dug in the embankment. There's, you know, a couple cars on the freeway. Um, but basically, my dad just said, uh, well, okay, hop in the car. We drove it off. There's a little bit of front-end damage. I ended up, uh, we ended up leaving the trailer, and I drove the car the rest of the way to the track. It was, like, November. The Going over the grapevine was freezing cold. I just had, like, a sweatshirt and basketball shorts. And in that moment, it was pure misery. But 
I don't know, it just makes once you get to the track, once you get to that destination, that much more worth it. Uh, I just remember I was so glad to be finally, you know, warm and uh, back where we were worked so hard to get to. Um, but yeah, when I look back on racing, I always think of stories like that, like just like, crazy adventures uh, that you can't really plan. So in some way, you were almost like destined for something like this, having your first foray into motorsports, going to your first track day, having something like that happen. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I think that I thought that's maybe what I thought racing was, was doing that. And uh, so, yeah, I guess I wanted more of it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Now, these races to Cabo, what were those like? I know you've talked to me, you know, when we were at the PEC and stuff like that. Um, about what you guys would do, but for the listeners, I mean, what what would those races actually constitute of? What would you guys do? Yeah, so you got, you know, you sign up kind of just on a little Facebook page. Not really many rules, but you got to buy a car for no more than $500. It's kind of integrity rule there. And we've had anything from, you know, turbo Volvo station wagons to limos to pickup trucks. And it's, you know, it's kind of uh, the whole... It's basically, I mean, first one in Cabo wins, but it's more of a not actually driving fast. It's who can get, make their car survive. Uh, you go through a lot. I remember my first car, the seat was stuck in full recline. <laughs> we went through like six gallons of engine oil. Um, <laughs> six gallons? Six gallons, oh, yeah. Geez. And my buddy was behind me. He's like my professional pillow fluffer because, you know, I had to sit up. So we had like seven pillows stacked up and you'd have to fluff them probably every 30 minutes. Um, there's just so many funny stories. We, I've done it personally three times of where, you know, we were in college. So once you get to Cabo, we did it during spring break. So once you get to Cabo, it's an amazing time. But we were just at a, like a different level of excitement and elation because of that journey and that trip of putting a car that, you know, people who sold it to us, they've already given up on it at that point. Uh, and we've given, you know, we gave the car this new life and we kind of just uh, go for it. Um, yeah, it, a lot of amazing adventures. I could tell you a bunch of stories. Last time I went down, I didn't quite make it. I actually totaled my car hitting a cow, <laughs> and we had to hitchhike down. I mean, there, there's just there's a lot of craziness that can that can go on. Uh, but that's always been my favorite part: is getting to the destination, the journey, not so much the actual destination itself. And I think that's what kind of blossomed into what Gasoffel is now in my adventure that I'm about to do. Nice. Now you know, I I think one of the things that's kind of interesting and refreshing for me is that you know you've done some some pretty high level racing but you also enjoy having you know everyday fun racing like everybody else does so i I think there's there's some drivers or some people that i kind of feel once they get to a certain level they might go oh you know something like that's kind of like beneath me you know like i'm not interested in doing that anymore i'm kind of above that um so for me it's really refreshing to hear you talk about you know races like that that you've done that are just kind of like stupid little ideas but they're they're just all about fun yeah i mean absolutely i think i think i reacted the opposite you know i did i did some a uh, couple years doing pirelli world challenge stuff and you know i thought that's where i wanted to be and i had a lot of fun when i was racing there but to be honest it kind of sucked the soul out of me the the, the seriousness of it the kind of the way you're supposed to act you're supposed to be robotic just saying all the right things there was no personality and pizzazz that you get from grassroots motorsports and it kind of sucked a little bit of the drive out of me and you know once that kind of fizzled out I was always looking back okay how can I go back to racing and doing doing what I love um 
And I guess this is kind of a combination of everything that I love, you know, adventure, doing some surfing, you know, anything that's kind of extreme. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Now, how did you get your start in motorsport? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about, like, PwC and stuff like that, but where exactly did you get your start? I know you, you've grown up in a motorsport family. Right. But, you know, what was the first thing that you remember as far as, you know, competing or getting track time or seat time? Yeah, so uh, I came from a unique family. My, my mom was actually a professional skateboarder, and, and you know, my dad... And my uncle, they, they're racing cars. So I was always destined for some sort of crazy adventure sport. But I was actually really into ball and stick sports. So football, baseball at first was my real love. And that's kind of what I went for. I did do some quarter midget racing and a little bit of go-karts when I was younger. And I always liked cars and racing. Uh, but I went for the ball and stick sports first. I ended up, you know, typical hurt myself pretty bad in basketball or football how to get back surgery um but that allowed me you know the doctor said uh you know you can sit for a maximum of 30 minutes i'm like well that's about a sprint race so that's when we went and bought ourselves a miata um like a former spec miata or? yeah i skipped one part of that my mom actually had like a n ndmx5 okay so we autocrossed that for a little NC. bit nc sorry yeah. nc Thanks for the correction. Yeah. And NC. Uh, I know you're young, but you're yeah, not that not young. not that man. young. And NC, yeah. And then, um, so yeah, autocross that a little bit. Definitely showed some interest. But then we got the uh, the Miata. It was a, it was a we actually started as, as a Lemons car. And my dad said, me and my sister and my mom raced it as a team. Um, and if we didn't crash that, we, he said we'd build in a spec Miata. So the rest was history. I worked my way through, you know, spec Miata and then started driving a bunch of other stuff, um, kind of finagled my way into doing some uh, PwC stuff, did some B-spec, um, and then I raced uh, in the in touring car class as well. Um, so, yeah, I just started a nice little career out of, uh, yeah, kind of noth nothing, yeah. Nice. Now, what were those PwC experiences like? I know we talked about before, um, you know, after a while, it kind of started to wear on you a little bit. But, you know, like, what was your first PwC race like coming from, you know, racing spec Miatas going into pro racing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty typical of my uh, rest of my racing career is just complete chaos. Um, is that U Utah, Miller Motorsports Park? Uh, and our after I practiced a standing start, which I probably shouldn't have done, but we broke the axle um, <laughs> and our little Mazda, too. So we were looking for, we were going to miss the, uh, we actually ended up missing the first race. We're trying to get the car ready for the second race. Um, and we're working, we're partnered with uh, Cork Sport Motorsports, their Mazda tuning company. And the owner actually, because we couldn't find an axle, drove from uh, Vancouver, Washington, all the way to Utah to deliver, hand deliver the part. Wow, really? Yeah. And once we got the axle in, uh, I did, you know, I ended up, I, podi I started from pit lane the second race, ended up finishing third, and then the, the last race, um, or the, yeah, the third race that weekend I won. Um, and it, so it, was, it ended up being a good weekend, but it's just funny, you know, continuing the tradition of chaos in my racing world. Uh, but I guess for the racing part, which it was, what was different about it is, you know, Spec Miata is a, pretty, a really competitive, competitive class. Uh, it, like highly competitive and intense and i didn't i mean i want to be i want to i don't want to sound uh, sound too uh cocky here but i didn't really work that hard at you know qualifying on pole or winning those races i kind of was just cruising to do that so yeah this was 
dubbed a professional race, but it was a very different kind of race. Like I was kind of just biding my time, uh, not really gunning for it, grabbing the race by the scruff of the neck like you have to inspect Miata. So nice yeah you know i i talked to your dad uh at mid ohio mm -hmm. uh, at a grid life event last year and he told me that he actually he was there um to hang out with the o'gorman so tom o'gorman and his parents um which i guess you guys had met at a race at i think it was laguna seca maybe right yep so you know it's kind of interesting that you know where your where your dad has been you know obviously helping you yep. uh race and then meeting up with them uh, you know he actually he came up and introduced himself to me yeah. when we were at you know when we were at mid ohio and i was like who is this guy he's like oh i'm joey jordan's dad i'm like oh hey how's it going like joey <laughs> told me that you listen to the show yeah. so i thought that was really funny and it just kind of reminds me of how much of a, a small world it actually is at least in north american motorsports right uh, I, I think what you're about to find though is that it's a small world but it's actually quite a big world too i mean you're going to be stumbling upon things on your trip that none of us have ever heard of absolutely yeah i mean i'm excited for that Definitely, and it is the racing world. It kind of, it kind of brings everyone together. I might not be able to speak the same language as the people I'm coming across, or might not understand their culture, but we all understand, you know, the international language of horsepower, where everyone can relate to a loud engine and the the feeling that you know a car can give you um so that, yeah that's how i'm going to try to break through a lot of these social barriers now what's the the strategy when you're on the road how do you plan to find out about events that you aren't privy to it you know like right now as we sit here right yeah a lot is i've been building a lot of connections um of people already as i'm sitting here in the states but i'm sure as i go along and find you know those niche car cultures they'll know the people in the next town and hopefully i'll just be able to build connections but a lot of it is kind of uh, a roll of the dice uh, i'm just going to try to see what i can get my hands on hit some big events um but yeah, for, from there, it's just kind of uh, really just going for it. Like there'll be like a like a track day, a Mexican track day car, like driving down the street. You'll flip a U-turn and like chase the guy down. Exactly. Like you've seen like American <laughs> pickers where they're like freelancing. They just see something interesting and they go. I mean, that's what I plan on doing. If I see a car that looks like, uh, you know, someone's put some love and care into it, I'm going to try to find them and try to talk to them about it. Nice. Now, tell us a little bit about the vehicle that you've chosen. Right. Yeah, so it is a Japanese imported Toyota Hiace, um, four wheel drive, diesel, right hand drive. Aspect, right hand drive. Um, yeah, so it's pretty different. Uh, a lot of people ask me, why the heck would you choose that? Um, there's kind of a lot of reasons. Most of it's money. If I really wanted something that was kind of smaller that I could put into a shipping container, I wanted something that was a manual stick shift. Um, and I wanted something that wasn't, you know, if in those in that realm, you're looking at like Westfalia's, uh, you know, Synchros that are four wheel drive. Super pricey. Those are like thirty, forty thousand dollar cars. Yeah. So I started looking elsewhere and that's where I found and fell in love with a Toyota Hiace. And the more research I've done uh, yeah, here in North America and Canada, you can't really find it's hard to find parts. It's hard to find the car at all. I'm, I think that there's only 10 of Hiaces in the in the country. Um, but as you go further south, uh, you know, in Central and South America, they're everywhere. And, you know, if I do end up shipping the, the car in Africa and other parts of the world, they're pretty much it's one of the most ubiquitous vehicles that that exists on, on the world today. So, um, 
yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer once I did, did my research. Yeah, you know what I like about it? You know, obviously myself having the ambulance being like all about van life. Um, is that it's actually quite spacious inside. When you consider, you know, there's a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of, like, Mitsubishi, like, Delicas and yep. stuff like that, or Delica, or however the heck you yeah, want to say yeah. it, um, you know, that are that are out there, but they're they're smaller vans. They're really not much larger than, like, a 4Runner inside. No. But meanwhile, your van, it's actually, you know, it's, it's probably about the size of a Ford Econoline, maybe a little bit bigger. It's taller. Right. Um, Very maybe narrow. a little bit narrower, yeah. yeah, but maybe a little bit longer, too. And, mm-hmm. you know, having the, you know, the seating position so far forward, because it's yep. typical Japanese 80s, early 90s yeah. van to where you're sitting on top of the, the wheels. Yep. Um, you know, it does offer a lot of space. Yeah, I mean, there's, there is a lot of room. Um, and it, it's funny, you, you do sit right on top of the wheels, the engine's underneath you as well. So I joke, I have, you know, heated seats. I can work on the engine <laughs> as I'm driving. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I love the van so far. It, it's a bit of a rust bucket. It will have its issues, but that's part of the fun. That's what I've learned from racing is embracing those moments and knowing that they're going to make good stories down the line. Uh, so the, it, we've named it Flaco, which means skinny in Spanish. That was anointed to me by a... Uh, guy who worked at my lumber yard in my town while I was building it, but um, Flacco will have his uh, his breakdown. It's not a matter of if, it's, it's just when, but I look forward to those because that'll be its own little adventure. What I find is interesting is that, you know, the, the vehicle, it's a good vehicle for what you're doing, and you've optimized it the most you can, but it's not necessarily everyone's first choice to take a trip like this. But at the same time, I feel like it parallels perfectly with what you're going to be finding when you're, you know, out looking at, you know, racing in third world countries, essentially, is that people don't let the lack of having the best, absolute best equipment keep them from participating in something. So I think it's a perfect vehicle to kind of display that. Yeah, it might, you know, not be the most reliable thing, but that's all part of the adventure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the head there. Uh, that's kind of what I was going for. I don't want to stick out or anything. I'm going to be going through some rougher areas. Um, but, yeah, I enjoy, you know, maybe making a vehicle wasn't really designed to do what it's going to be doing, just like a lot of race cars, and, and just going for it anyways. Um, I've been, you know, I've been going down to Mexico since I was a little kid, and I just I've seen the cars I've seen down there and what people do to them. It just puts the biggest smile on my face. My most recent trip, there's this truck and it had a, a flat tire, but they just stuffed a bunch of hay in the rear tire. And, was, <laughs> and they're just going so the hay is like supporting the weight yes. instead of like yeah. refilling it with just, air. Yeah, just stuffed hay because the <laughs> sidewalls were all blown out. And I remember sitting there and he's like, my mouth must have been open because the guy knew I was just like. I don't know, in disbelief. And the guy uh, driving, he spoke some English. He's like, this is still a good tire in Mexico, man. We can still go. <laughs> and just, I was like, this, that's beautiful. Uh, you know, people here in the States, they get like one little light. It could be windshield wiper fluid, and they're bringing a car in the shop. It's out of commission. I just love the, I don't know, the creativity that comes out of um, out making a car it's last. Kinda, it's like the, the, perse- the perseverance of like yes. whatever works. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's, it's, a, it's a much different world. But at the same time, too, that's what makes it kind of fun and interesting because you don't necessarily see those things here in the U.S. Meanwhile, that's just a basic way of life. Like, I'm sure all the like the locals down there were like, oh, that's smart. I'll do that next time that like I have a flat tire, you know, or like have my sidewall ripped or something. I'll fill that sucker with freaking, you know, hay or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's really cool. 
So, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a really, really fun trip. Um, do you have a, a basic idea of what your schedule is going to be? It's very a uh, rough outline. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm leaving February 16th. Um, I'll, I will be setting out a little preparation podcast, what I, or not podcast, episode. It's, it's all a video platform of what I've been doing leading up to, uh, in preparation for the trip. But then, yeah, every you know, week and a half, two weeks, you'll be seeing what, I, what I've been up to. But essentially, I'm trying to get down to Patagonia uh, within, within a year. That's my time frame. Um, there's some big events, like I mentioned, the World Rally Championship that I want to be there for. But uh, really, it's, it's a really rough outline. I don't really have any direction, um, which, which makes it fun, makes it interesting. Now, in your, your planning for the trip, what have been kind of the biggest hurdles or setbacks that you've come upon that have made you maybe second guess what you're planning, like, oh, what am I doing? Um, or things that go, make you go, you know, like maybe I should think about things a little bit differently and try something different. Yeah, I mean, you look online and you talk about driving through some of these countries and it's a lo- it's pretty discouraging. A lot of people are just talking about how dangerous it is and you hear a lot of these horror stories and that can be like, okay, do I really want to risk my life for for something like this? But um, ultimately, and I do wrestle with that, but ultimately I look back and people have been telling me not to go down to Baja my entire life. They say that's super dangerous, but I've been doing that. It's, you know, there are dangerous parts just like there are dangerous parts in LA or any city. Um, but I think it's worth the adventure. You know, if there isn't a little bit of risk, I don't know, there's, there's no fun in that. So, um, I think that's been the biggest thing is just like kind of knowing the severity of it. Also just knowing what I'm leaving behind all the friends and family, like, Hopefully I'm not burning too many bridges by not being in contact with a lot of people for a good portion, you know, a good year or so, maybe more. Um, Well, at least you have a good explanation for it instead of just like sitting at home, ignoring everybody. Right. Yeah. Hopefully they'll be able to empathize with that. But uh, no, you and I were were talking before we came on the air about how, you know, a lot of people do understand that it's, you know, it can be somewhat dangerous traveling in Mexico and, you know, Central America. But for the most part, those are usually because we only hear stories about the bad things happening. You know, we never hear really hear much about the stories of people passing through successfully, which are, the ratio is probably way skewed to people that have done the same type of trip, you know, and not had any issues. So, you know, it's kind of it's interesting to me that, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, might have preconceived notions about traveling internationally built up on one or two stories uh, of things happening to people. Yeah, I know. I, I guess people just, they see that it's the unknown and they kind of grab onto these extreme stories, um, which is, it's a shame. But uh, I don't know. I, the more I've found when I've done these little races to Cabo and just been doing my little surfing trips, it's, once you get down there, the people are all pretty genuine. Uh, you know, they will have less money and they'll, in, that, in those situations, people will try to take advantage, which in a lot of cases, I won't necessarily blame them blame them for that. Um, but you just got to keep a smart head on your shoulders. I'm sure I'll get a kind of a sense for it as I go down. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, just people should, they should not be so afraid of doing something like what I'm about to do, especially down just at Baja's on the other side of where we're sitting here. And so many people have lived their whole lives in Southern California, even in San Diego, and they've never been to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, we're right now here in San Clemente, we're probably closer to, uh, you know, the border than we are to L.A. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's just it, it just boggles my mind sometimes. Yeah, I know. And it, 
a part of me wants to keep it that way and tell people, yeah, be afraid of it. Don't go down there. Because in Baja, as we were talking about earlier, you get all the benefits of California, the beautiful weather, um, the good waves, the good, you know, probably better food. Um, but you don't deal with all the traffic and a lot of the, the other drawbacks that you get, the smog that you get in, in California. It's, it's smaller population, less to deal with. It's, it's a really beautiful area. More people should check it out. But if you're afraid, Maybe stay afraid. It's okay. Yeah. Keep all the same. <laughs> now, I mean, when you know, when you think about going on the trip, what are kind of the main goals that you have that you want to get out of it yourself? Yeah, um, I guess uh, I don't know. That, that that's a really good question. I don't really know if I'm looking to answer any big single question. I, I think it's going to be more of kind of like. The more you know, the less you know type of deal. I still have a, I still have a lot of built-up angst, and I just didn't really want to settle into what uh, America's idea for society is, which is basically graduate college, get a job, work, get a family, and then retire when all your best years are behind you and you have to spend all your retirement money on you know, trying to keep yourself alive. I kind of want to take advantage of my best years and... Uh, I knew while I was working that that I just couldn't see myself continuing to do that. So I don't know if I'm really looking for anything specific. Uh, I just know I need to shake things up a bit, quite a bit. And yeah. that's kind of why I'm going on this. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a trick and loaded question. I, I only asked because with that answer, that is essentially the right answer. That means you're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it for the adventure. You're not trying to, you know, answer any one particular thing. You're not searching for anything. Because uh, I, I know a lot of people that have done similar trips that have gone out, you know, seeking something. And then when they don't find it, they feel like the trip is a failure. So, you know, it's more about just kind of experiencing the world um, and kind of, you know, getting to do something that really most people, you know, will never get to do. They think about it and, you know, they kind of romanticize about it and, you know, want to do it. But they never actually take that step and actually do it. I mean, for you... How hard was it to actually, you know, build up to that point where you go, okay, I'm ready, uh, I'm leaving work, uh, let's hit the road? Yeah, I mean, and that's encouraging. First of all, it's encouraging you for to hear that. Uh, you know, I do. A lot of people think that I'm just so dead and set on on doing this, and it was pretty. You know, I've had, I, you know, it's easy to think about. And like, as you said, a lot of people talk about doing this. But yeah, once I put in, you know, I told my work I'm going to quit. And I started to go public with this idea of this whole documentation of it. Um, it got pretty real. And the best way I've been able to describe it is, you know, I'd say 51% of the time I'm like, heck, yes, this is the thing I want to do more than anything. But there's 49% of the time where I'm like, what am I doing with my <laughs> what am I doing with my life right now? Is this really the direction I want to go? So I do have a lot of doubts, uh, definitely. But um, I think that 51 percent is going to going to kind of rule over. Um, and I just know if I didn't do this, if I didn't go for it, I'd just be wondering what if, you yeah. know. Yeah, I really think, you know, that's the best way to do it. You know, as you know, I took a, a large motorcycle trip, not yep. anywhere near what you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, every night you go to bed with tons of confidence, like you're doing the right thing. Then you wake up in the morning with like a crippling self-doubt almost with like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Where am I? Why am I doing this? But then you just get up and, you know, you move on with your day and all of a sudden it falls back into place. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I'll find that as I go. Uh, but, yeah, I'm definitely as it's getting closer, it's. 
it's getting very real. Uh, I am really excited, but it, there's a lot of, I'm pretty apprehensive and nervous, uh, all the emotions. Um, but I just know I need to go for it. I need to find out. If I don't, then always be kicking myself. So what's, uh, what's left on the checklist of things that you need to do before you take off? I know we talked beforehand, there's a couple of, like mods to the van. Uh, you have to get a couple of paperwork things um, figured out and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, what, uh, what's the, you know, the checklist of things that, you know, you have to do after you have the van mostly ready to go and have quit your job? You know, what are the, the, the finer intricacies? Yeah, there, that checklist is kind of endless. There's a lot of small things, uh, you know, like things that you wouldn't think about. Like here in Cal- Southern California, it's pretty much a desert. We don't really have to worry about too many mosquitoes or bugs, but I got to think ahead of the rainforest I'm going through. So right now, one of my challenges is how to figure out how to fit my van with uh, mosquito netting and how to make that kind of be able to take that on and off um then there's things you know with the whole documentation of this i'm not necessarily professional i'm learning as i go but how do i edit on the road how do i make it because a lot of my editing has been i get an idea and i'll just youtube how How do you do do this i'm not if you don't have have the bandwidth yeah if you don't have the bandwidth you can't really do that i'm gonna have to just figure it out you know i have a drone that i need to get there's an endless amount of things. Yeah, I have a drone. I need to get better at flying that. Uh, I need to get better. I need to get more equipment. Um, I, I need a lot more time than I do to make it perfect. But I think if I waited till everything was perfect to set off, I'd never would. Yep. Um, and so, I think that's a trap a lot of people fall into, like yeah. we were talking about earlier. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of small things with the van. Um, you know, making, we were talking earlier, making the little shower for the outside thing. Um I gotta re. I'm gonna get my front bearings redone, uh, so the front hubs will be fresh. Um, a lot of small things. Uh, it's kind of piling on top of each other as we get up for it. But either way, when it's February 16th, I will be driving off. One way or another. Yeah, one way or another. Yeah, <laughs> whether I'm ready or not, for better or for worse. Nice. Yeah. So, and I know we talked about, um, you know, the trip really doesn't have much of an end date. It's kind of indefinite. You know, so what are what's the initial plan um, as far as where you're going to end up? You know, obviously we talked about Patagonia, right? Um, but after that, you know, what are kind of your thoughts then? Obviously, we're not going to hold you to it or anything. Yeah. Um, but you know, what's what's kind of your your line of thinking at this given point? Yeah. So the the big dream is to make it all the way across the world. I've been able to save up enough money to definitely Patagonia is happening. I'm gonna the van's gonna get down there. But then the question is, you know, a part of the goal, this whole documentation of it is it's for me. I enjoy doing it and telling the story, the art of storytelling. It's also potentially to make some income to continue to tell that story. So, you know, whether it's funding from, you know, like Facebook or YouTube or I've started a Patreon, hopefully with income from that, um, I can ship the van over to South Africa and just continue the journey. So from South Africa, I drive it up into Europe from Europe. I'd go drive through the Middle East into East Asia, from East Asia, drive down into Australia, um, through Malaysia, maybe then ship it back up into like Japan, Korea, drive it up through Russia where it almost gets to Alaska, and then make it back down coming from the north. I want to start finish line that I cross, like basically a big racetrack, and it's just going to be one big loop. Um, that's kind of the end goal. It's pretty, you know, 
it seems like a long ways away, but that, that's kind of the big whole dream. I might end up hating it. I might not want to do that. The documentation might suck. I might not make any money from it, um, that, and that's all okay. But at least by going and setting out, I'll, I'll kind of have those answers. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. There's, there's a lot uh, of motorsports around the world. And obviously, you know, your first leg is going to be Mexico, Central America, South America, stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think when you get into Russia, I mean, I, dude, I've seen some videos from Russia just on Facebook. Some of those guys are freaking crazy, man. Yeah, it's insane. So, yeah, <laughs> it just, you know, there's, there's all sorts of motorsports all over the globe. And, you know, I would love nothing more than to see you be able to go experience and kind of document and share those experiences with everybody else. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah, as soon as you said that about Russia, I just had all these videos that have YouTube go through my head. One that stuck out is <laughs> this race in Pakistan. It, I, it, I kind of think of it as like the Baja 1000 of how it was maybe, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, it's same kind of idea, except you're going through Pakistan and there's like stock cars entered, like they're literally stock, pick, stock pickup trucks and SUVs. It just looks like complete mayhem. And it's absolutely everything that I want to document and get into and maybe, you know, participate in. Um, and I, who knows, that's just one that I found. Who knows how many more of those are across the globe, you know? So I'm excited too. Hopefully, hopefully it can all work out. Hopefully I can make it all the way, but only time will tell. So what are, what are some travel essentials for you that you're taking with you? Like what, what are some things that you know you're going to be taking that you wouldn't think of leaving at home? Yeah, surfboard. Um, surfboard. <laughs> Surfboard's a big one. Surfboard, fishing equipment. I'm, I'm going to try to live off the land as much as I can. Uh, cooking. I have a little stove and a little mini fridge. I do like a good beer. Um, that's probably why I dragged here to Pizza Port. It was a delicious <laughs> beer. So I got to keep my beer cold. Um, really, uh, you know, I probably couldn't make it without my solar energy. You know, the van is powered. I, I put solar panels on it. So I'd be able to charge this whole documentation thing that I'm doing. I got to charge all the camera equipment, the drone batteries, you know, the stuff for my phone. I need constant power. Um, I wish I could say I'd, I'd confidently do this trip without documenting it. But I think a, a big part of me is, as I was saying, one of my biggest worries is leaving everyone behind. If I'm telling this story, I feel like I'll be connected in a way. So uh, as much as I say I want to go completely off the grid, I don't know if I have that much courage. So knowing that I have a little bit of power um, so I can charge these things and tell this story, create these videos, I think that'll give me the peace of mind to keep me going through those darkest and most doubting of times. Yeah. You know, one, uh, one thing that uh, I've always thought was awesome that a lot of people probably don't know, especially some of uh, probably some of the students that you had or customers that you had at the PEC don't know, is that, uh, you know, you had this van, you were building it out, and at times you were living out of it while you were working at the PEC, um, you know, all around South Bay in L.A. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what was that like, kind of like urban stealth camping in Southern L.A. while working as a professional racing, you know, essentially professional racing coach right um you know <laughs> it's just kind of like two different worlds you know yeah. you deal with porsches during the day you know with high-end customers and then you go back and you crash in your 6500 dollars van like you know it's just like <laughs> yeah that always made me chuckle uh that was always really funny to me because i'd be coaching coaching you know maybe a high-end uh client he's you know i'm 
in a really expensive, you know, GT3 or whatever. And he'll ask me, like, oh, what do you drive? Expecting, like, you know, say, do you drive, like, a Lamborghini? And you're like, you see that rusty van yeah, in the you're, you're over on the acceleration like, straight. Yeah, you're exactly. Like, it out. You're I don't like, know that's whether, mine. <laughs> I don't know whether to make it up or tell them. Or, yeah. like, because maybe you won't. I don't know. Uh, but also, like... And that in those moments, uh, so yeah, basically when I first built my van, because I had to convert the whole camping thing myself, um, I wanted to try it out and see if I could live out of it in an urban environment for a little bit. I was planning on doing it for just a couple of days. I ended up doing it for two months because I really enjoyed it that much. I enjoyed the simplicity of it. Um, just everything was right there. Uh, I slept a lot. I don't know. I, just, I really, really enjoyed living out of the van, even in the middle of L.A. Um, yeah, one of my favorite things was when, and I really had to judge that if I was getting along with them really well, one of my guests uh, in one of the Porsches, if they asked, oh, so where do you live? I mean, the point to the van in the parking lot. <laughs> that's not really what they expect from a Porsche driving instructor. Um, they expect, you know, me to be in like Palos Verdes or something. Um, so that was, that was always funny. Sometimes I'd have to lie and say, you know, I don't know, I'm in like Long Beach or something because, you know, a lot of people just don't get doing that they don't get why you would live in a van yeah um, they're like where, where do you live like oh i just moved to uh to hermosa beach yeah, yesterday exactly. <laughs> i've actually did that a couple of times yeah like oh yeah i live in like redondo beach because i've been staying there the last yeah. week so <laughs> technically it's not really lying but um yeah no it's always good what well, gives me high hopes for you there's a lot of people that set off on adventures like this and they never like they might test like living in the van for a weekend or something like that but they never like spend a full week or two you know in in what they're going to be traveling in so the fact that you you've done it already you know you're comfortable with it it kind of alleviates that hurdle that a lot of people have off the bat you know there's some people that you know quit their job have big plans for an adventure and then they do it for a week and they go oh i don't like this at all and then they quit and they you know they go back to their normal life and maybe go back to their job or find something else but you know for me, from what it sounds like, you're, you're pretty committed to it. You're already comfortable with living in the van. Uh, and there's an underlying kind of drive to your trip versus just out for adventure. You know, right. you're out to kind of share motorsports and discover motorsports, uh, you know, in parts of the world that most people don't even think of when you think of motorsports. For the most part, I think when you think motorsports, you think North America, you think Europe, and you think, like, Japan. Yep. You know, and maybe now a little bit with F1, like, Middle East. Right. But other than that, like, there's a whole, like, lot of the globe. Well, and I guess, you know, South America with, yep. you know, certain, bit, yeah. certain F1 drivers and stuff like right. that. But, you know, for the most part, there's a lot of blank space where there's actually motorsports that are going on. They're just not high-level motorsports. Yep. Yeah, I mean, where there's cars, where there's something with an engine, people are going to race them. Yeah. Um, Goes back to the old story. What was the first race, you know, yeah. uh, after the second car was built? Right, exactly. So, so yeah, I kind of want to find out what people are doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to touch on what you first said about me kind of test living out of the van, uh, you know, I just want to say the most important thing, because when people follow me along, I don't want them to think that this is some big, glamorous thing. What I quickly learned you know, I did a couple big long trips down to Baja, living out of an LA. It's not completely glamorous at all, no. hardly at all. No, it's I, a lot of it is the the suffer fest and going through the misery of being dirty all the time, of not having a clean bathroom to go into. That might sound, you know, really terrible to a lot of you guys, but um, just going through that, going through the adversities of that, I think that's what makes it fun. Um, definitely don't think of this trip as being 
like this dream luxury adventure. It's going to be a lot of roughing it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, having lived off of a motorcycle and out of, you know, my ambulance for right. a couple of weeks at a time here and there, you know, it's it's not glamorous. You know, there's a lot of times where you're worrying about like, hey, where am I going to go to the restroom when it's time to go to the restroom or like, hey, you know, is my food, do I have enough ice for my food to stay cold or, you know, uh, if I cook breakfast here, are people going to look at me weird and like start asking questions, things like that. Uh, but, you know, I think all those downsides completely the the good the good sides of it completely completely offset all of the downsides you know when it's good it's good it's really good (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely i think it just makes you appreciate things a lot too because you know like i mean you you have your van the ambulance and you've done your motorcycle trips you totally you totally get it i mean a lot i fall on the trap too there's a lot of times where i'm sitting like oh man my wi-fi is slow like i can't watch this show that's your biggest worry when you're living on the road like that you know you're you're trying to see how you can keep your food from, you know, going awry, and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, relieve yourself going to the bathroom. There's a lot of, it's a lot simple, but more, like, necessary bodily functions they have to worry about. Something about, I think, keeping it simple like that um, just really makes you appreciate things, makes you take, live life slowly, um, and it increases your overall happiness. Yeah. At least that's what I've found. You know, I, I found on my motorcycle trip that when I was out traveling, especially when you're traveling by yourself, um, it kind of makes you slow down and you can kind of take your time. And if you want to like, you know, say hi to somebody and have a little chat with them or end up having a chat with them, you're not looking at your watch being like, oh man, I got to get on the road. You don't have your buddies that are like not interested in talking to that person, like sitting around tapping their foot, like, Hey man, let's go. Um, you know, for me traveling solo is kind of one of the most fun and like refreshing things that I've ever done. And you know, it is nice. Like I I hooked up with a couple friends here and there to be able to spend time with, but for the most part to, you know, to take on a trip of that caliber, like what you're Mm going to be doing by yourself. I mean, it's, it's really refreshing to know that you can, you're okay spending time by yourself without other people, you know, which I think is almost a lost art. A lot of people, they hate, spending time by themselves absolutely yeah i mean it, it, it'll probably get pretty lonely but i'm i'm comfortable with myself and that's something i'm gonna have to wrestle with um but i mean yeah i don't know i'm i'm excited for for everything the the misery of it you know i'll try to be when i document i'll try to be vulnerable and tell you guys exactly what i'm going through um but it, it's not always i guess what we're both trying to get across it's not always uh easy and rainbows and butterflies um which is also, it's part of the good and part of the bad of it. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Well, Joey, I can't wait to follow along on, you know, on your trip and kind of be able to see how your adventures are going. Um, for other people that want to follow along, where can they check you out at? Yeah, so uh, best place to do is gashalffull.com. It's like glass half full, but gas. Um, that'll give you links to everything else. But you, yeah, any social media, so Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, you can check me out there. Um, but yeah, that, those are the best places. I'll be constantly updating. You know, every hopefully week and a half, two weeks, I'll have a video up. But constantly updating on where I am, uh, what my plans are, um, 
anytime I get Wi-Fi. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's, yeah, of it's, course, it'll man. be a little bit weird to actually hear myself. I've been listening to this show, <laughs> so it'll be weird to hear myself on it, but I'm excited to be on here. Um, hopefully, you know, as I go along, I'll be able to uh, give you a little bit of updates, me some sound bites, and uh, maybe you can come join me oh, at dude, some that'd point. Be, that'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing. I would yeah. love to. Yeah. So we'll see if the wife will let me. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a trouble. So, well, Joey, appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thanks guys. Sure. money on the mic all right we'll see how long these batteries last luckily i have headphones in so i can tell when it cuts off and i'll be there able to go. run i'll just keep talking until you tell me to stop all right cool man you ready yep cool five four three two one